0: I would like you to take just a moment, as we've been doing the last few weeks, to just take a pause and ask God to prepare your heart for this service. Get ready to receive from God. 15 seconds, you and God getting ready. Our Father, we give you all the praise and the honor and glory that you deserve. You are our God. We are your children. We are ready to receive from our Papa today things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, please stand as we read the word of God together. Chapter 15, verse 21 through 39. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his, his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. This is the word of God. Our Father, we give you thanks for this time. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of our hearts. We need to hear from our God as always, Father. We are in this lost land trying to survive, and we need your strength, your power, your might in order to carry out our journey and our mission while we're here. Strengthen us, Lord. Heal us. Touch our spirits. Touch us emotionally. Touch us physically. Touch us in our area of need, God. We need you more than we need anything in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of, theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we say this every week, a king is coming that will reign, and there will be law and order in our world. There will be a loving king that will rule, and uh, it is going to be a terrific time in the, in the millennial reign of Christ. We know that Jesus is facing more and more opposition. He's faced the opposition of the Galilean Pharisees. And he's, then he faced the opposition of the Judean Pharisees. They came from Jerusalem. The higher, the, high, the honchos came to examine him, to test him whether he was the Messiah. We also understand that there's some pressure from Herod Antipas. So Jesus is going to make his exit from the area because there's a lot of threats on his life right now. He's, re, he's getting more and more opposition, so he's going to go to Tyre and Sidon, and I'll bring that up in just a second, but I want you to remember what has happened. The Jewish people have rejected Jesus' offer of the kingdom. Remember, he came to the Jews, specifically to the Jews, to offer the kingdom of God. They rejected it, and when they rejected, a time stopped for them. Now, in our study on Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 in particular, in Revelation, we have reference this this slide. And I don't want you to forget this. So as we get into other teachings, I want to bring back into our memories this 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 slide. So please remember, we are in the church age right here, this time after Jesus Christ has been accepted his Messiahship. Now, the decree to restore Jerusalem until Messiah Neged, the Messiah the King would come, would be 69 week years, 483 Eighty-three years, 173,880 days, exactly from this date to this date, and Jesus accepted his kingship here on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That started the church age. The Jewish people have been set aside. Their weeks have been cut off. The last week is the tribulation period, a full week of seven years that that God will dedicate himself to drawing the Jewish people back to himself. I think the church age ends with the rapture of the church. I believe it ends here, and the full week is God dealing with the Jewish people. And remember, they have to do two things before Jesus will come back. They have to plead for him to return and recognize their national sin of rejecting Messiah. Now, we are in the section of where Jesus is being more and more challenged, more and more opposition is being raised up against him. And it is a danger for him to be in the area that he's in, so he's going to Tyre and Sidon, and he wants to escape there for a break, to take a break. And in Mark chapter seven twenty-four, he actually enters a house there. And in that house, he tells the house the householder, Don't I just want to have some rest. I don't want to have anybody bother me, words to that effect. And coming to the house is this woman in need, this Canaanite woman with a daughter that is severely demon-possessed. And we pick up our story in Matthew chapter fifteen, verse twenty-one. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, significant statement, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That's a messianic title. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So I have a map here just for reference. Jesus has gone from the area of Galilee, Gennesaret in particular, and he's going up to Tyre and Sidon. This is where this miracle will take place with this woman that comes in with the comes, comes in with the demon-possessed daughter. From there, he will come down to the Decapolis. These are ten uh, Greek cities. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Here, he will feed the four thousand. So that's the setting. That gives you a little bit of reference as to where we are. Now, these cities of of Tyre and Sidon, have been mentioned before. In Matthew eleven twenty one. 21, it says this, Woe to you, Chorizon, which is a Jewish city. Woe to you, Bethsaida, Jewish city. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, now listen to these words, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now, Jesus did miracles in those Jewish cities that weren't done in Tyre and Sidon. We just see this miracle here. But he did multiple, multiple miracles there, and they still rejected him as the Messiah. So what you want to realize is with knowledge of Jesus, with him demonstrating who he is in your life, with knowledge comes responsibility, accountability. Secondly, to whom much is given, much is required, the Jewish people were given much, and they rejected, and they rejected, and they rejected. Finally, the day came when they would stop. They were set aside, and now God is using his church. There'll be a time when the church age ends, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes. That's the last Gentile that is saved. Then the church will be extracted, and I believe we go into the tribulation period. Now, something to think about. Wherever Jesus goes, the demonic flee. That's something to think about. So whenever Jesus is, becomes sacred space. We talked about this concept before. Sacred space, space under the authority of God, under the authority of Jesus, not the gods of this world. Now, we've mentioned this in the past. Believers are sacred space. The moment that you believe, the Holy Spirit became resident within you. Satan has no authority. He has no rights. The demonic realm has nothing that they can do with you because you're under the cover of God and you belong to God. That's that concept. Believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 6.16. So the woman approaches Jesus. She's a Canaanite woman. Remember, they're the perpetual enemies of Israel, the true God. There would be no rest for Jesus. He thought he was going to go there for rest, and that ministry still keeps coming. In verses 23 through 28, now Jesus is going to do something here that you've never seen before. He's going to ignore the Gentile woman's requests. And you wonder, why does he do that? Why in the world does Jesus do that? Well, we pick it up in verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And that causes you to have a little pause in your spirit and wonder, what is going on here, Jesus? And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away for she cries out after us, literally shrieks after us, a continual harassment of save Jesus, save Jesus, save Jesus. And it's irritating the disciples. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and she worshiped him saying, and I'm going to emphasize this word, these words in this talk, Lord, help me. If you can squeeze anything out in your time of need, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This sounds like a very sarcastic re- response. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, "O oh, woman, wouldn't you love this? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The miracle occurred. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Let that just indelibly be imprinted into your mind. Lord, help me. So the woman's first approach, though, was not acceptable to Jesus. The woman addresses Jesus with a messianic title, Son of David. But she is not a Jew. I remember the, the message to the Jew first and then to the Greek, and it hasn't gone to the Greeks yet. He's dealing with the Jewish people with an offer of the kingdom. The woman is a Canaanite, the enemies of the true God, and has no right, at least at this point, to messianic blessings. Jesus' seemingly cold response, these words. He answered her not a word. And I'm telling you, that kind of stings just a little bit. His reasoning was very clear in verse 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When the disciples were sent out two by two in Matthew 10:6, he gave them specific instructions, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember, it's to the Jew first and then to the Greek, Romans 1, 16, Paul to the Jew first And then the Greek says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So that is the methodology of God, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Jesus is very much the Jewish Messiah sent to the Jewish people at this point with an offer of the kingdom. And remember, they have rejected the kingdom and that's going to put their whole thing on hold their whole nation on hold the jewish people refused the offer did not receive jesus rejected him but god's plan hear this loud and clear always included the gentiles for salvation now how do i know that because we know in the old testament prophets they spoke of this isaiah chapter 42 verse 6 says this it'll come up on the screen i the lord have called you in righteousness, and will hold your hand. This is speaking of the Messiah who is to come. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. That is an important thing to remember in Isaiah 49.6. The prophet repeats this, a light to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 60, verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light in the millennial reign of Christ. In Genesis 12, 7, it's the Abrahamic promises, and to you and all the families of the the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Messiah, all people groups will be blessed. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is a light to the Jews. He's a light to the Gentiles, but there's an order to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. So there's a surprising thing here that this Gentile woman does. The Gentile woman does an un-Gentile thing, and she worships Jesus, she falls on her face in total subjection to Jesus. And then she cries out these words that we want to never forget in our time of need. Lord, help me. If you can squeeze it out, Lord, help me. You might not know anything else to say, but Lord, help me. Just three words changed everything for you. This simple phrase changed everything for this woman. And may our cry be the same in our time of need. Not go into a panic attack, but just yell. Just yell. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I have no place to go with this. Help me, God, please. She's saying this out loud. Every human knows that this Canaanite woman in earshot, where all these Gentiles are saying, I'm following the Messiah of Israel. All the demonic realm in earshot. Remember, the Canaanites worshipped Ashtar, Ishtar, the false gods. And she's telling these demonic entities, I'm worshiping the Messiah of Israel. Remember, Satan is called the ruler of this world system three times in the book of John. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's called the God of this world. He's in charge of a world system. He influences this world system. But remember this, everyone born into this world are born into that world system and must be extracted out of that system. How? By believing in Jesus as your Savior, and in Colossians 1.13, remember it's a violent extraction. Jesus violently extracts you from the kingdom of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of the Son of His love the moment you believe. And you say, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. That is an automatic transfer. This woman's simple act of worship, this act of faith in Jesus, moved the heart of Jesus. Now, Jesus' response in verse 26 sounds harsh, and sounds harsh to me. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, you must know, and probably some of you do know, that the way the Jewish people looks at at the Gentiles is as dogs. Dogs. Not nice dogs. Mongrels. Nasty dogs. Hated scavenger dogs. Kind of like this picture here. Just nasty, miserable, and mean. But the word usage that Jesus says with little dogs is a household pet. So there's a big difference. So the little dogs, this wasn't a, this wasn't a cut on her. This he was actually saying, you are still precious. And then watch what he said. Now, well, this dog, what do you think this dog's looking for? Crumbs from the table. Okay, anything that drops, that dog going to be all over that crumb. Now, watch what this woman says. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus' response to this woman is recorded forever and ever and ever. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Now, there's something else going on here. In these two instances where this woman's, this woman's, uh, this Gentile woman's daughter has a demon cast out of her and the feeding of the 4,000 has to do with Gentiles, I think that Jesus is doing with the inherent prejudice of the disciples. They looked at the Gentiles. They had a hard time with the Gentiles. They, they, they always thought they were superior to the Gentiles. And I think Jesus is teaching them something very important, that the Gentiles are included in salvation. The Jew first, then the Gentiles, because those disciples are going to go into the world. The vast majority of them Will be ministering to Gentiles. Now, I want you to remember this. This isn't in your notes. So please just maybe look up here for just a second. Never forget faith moves the hand of God. Faith moves the hand of God. Faith for the impossible. I believe, I will trust no matter what. It doesn't matter what it looks like, sounds like, smells like. Easy to say, hard to do. Okay? When you're not in the crisis, you're going, yeah, yeah, I can do that. In the crisis, it becomes a whole different program, whole different program. But notice she approached him with a spirit of humility and in full surrender to Jesus. And there's an attitude of here. And I think it's an attitude that we must have in that hour of trial, in that hour of difficulty. It is this. I don't know how all of this is going to play out. And we don't. We don't know if there's a good ending, bad ending, what kind of ending is going to happen, whatever situation you're going through. But my attitude must be, I will trust you, God, no matter what. Remember Richard Farmer's statement has become a very famous statement here. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's right. That's our job. Nancy Spielberg wrote this thing called Celebration of Belief. And she talks about coming to God kind of empty and unexpectedly. She says this, Lord, if I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. And then she adds these words, if I'd only known you better, I'd come running to you with a giant bucket, knowing you would fill it. What an amazing thing. The giving God gives. And I think the giving God gives to those who cry out, Lord, help me. I have no place to turn in this, Lord. I have not one ounce of strength. I cannot see this thing possibly changing. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Now, I can imagine something. I don't know if you know Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. At 88 years old or so, this man was burned at the stake because he would not recant and worship Rome Caesar over God. He says, I cannot recant. God is supreme. And as he's being burned at the stake, I imagine him saying, Lord, help me. John Huss was burned at the stake. Lord, help me. There's Iranian pastors now. And you, you know this, I think. I've mentioned it before. In Iran, it's the fastest growing church per capita in the world they're being persecuted now like never before their freedom's taken away and by the way these iranian pastors the vast majority are women and these women are going to prison being beaten being absolutely tortured and standing up for god and i imagine in that hour they are crying out lord help me lord help me that's happening all over our world Wouldn't you love to hear from God these words during that time of trial? Oh, woman. Oh, woman. Fill in your name. Oh, whatever your name is. Great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. Wouldn't you love to hear that from God? Just, mm, just great. Now, verse 29 through 31, Jesus is going to heal the Gentiles. He's going to set them free. This is phase two of the disciples' training about the Gentiles being accepted into the family. So verse 29, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee. Remember, we came all the way around the sea, down to the Decapolis, and went on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them all the sick and infirm, the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. This is not a Kenneth Copeland crusade, where the real sick ones are off to the side and the charlatans come across the stage. Or Benny Hinn or some of those, those folks. He healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That is what happened. Mark tells us that, that the area when they left Tyre and Sidon was the Decapolis, in case you wanted to know. So, why the Decapolis? Again, there was a constant threat on his life. He doesn't want to go back into Jewish territory because the Pharisees want him dead. It wasn't his time yet. He will go at the proper time, but it wasn't his time. Jesus is doing something. For six months, he's going to be in this area, this Gentile area, the Decapolis, and so on. And he's going to have intensive training with his disciples. Jesus is going to be leaving. And he wants his disciples to be ready for the mission that they're going to have to carry out, taking his, the gospel into the world. Jesus will heal the multitudes. This is the first time he heals a multitude of Gentiles from all infirmities. They're all, every one of them are unbelievers. Every one of them are worshipers of foreign gods. They are meeting the true God, Jesus Messiah, and something incredible happens. They are set free. 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 Foreign gods put people into bondage, folks. The gods of this world that promise you everything, oh, it's fun, it's great, it's terrific, put you into bondage. And the price paid is way worse than the momentary enjoyment you get. Jesus frees people from demonic bondages and the consequences of sin. And there's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 3.17 now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. I was going to put Braveheart up here, screaming, freedom, you know, that whole thing. Freedom. But I have resisted. So, remember the concept of sacred space. These people are running into contact with Jesus. They become believers. Some of these are becoming believers. They become sacred space. Remember, you are sacred space. Make your home sacred space, fully dedicated to Jesus. Your workplace can be sacred space. Don't be ashamed of him. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, even though they want to shut you down. Now, look, we go to work to work. We're not there to do evangelism and that sort of thing. But you are still a representative of the Lord Jesus. And in your workplace, when those conversations are happening and you can get your foot in the door, by all means, do it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You are sacred space invading the godless world. What happened to these demon false gods worshipers? It says they marveled when they saw the mute speaking and they glorified the God of Israel. That's what happened. They honored him. Doxa, glory, praise, honor, esteem, the true God, right in the face of all the false gods of that community. The true God reigns. God's grace and mercy, folks, is for all of humanity. Every single person. John 3.16 could not be clearer. Everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How big's the world? Who's included in the world? Everybody in the world. That's right. That's right. Anyone can turn from the worship and control of the false gods. Anyone can have demonic strongholds come down. Anybody, any people can be set free by the God of heaven, by Jesus Messiah. No one has to live their lives, folks, in bondage. No one has to live their lives in bondage to anything here, anything in your past. You can be set free. John 8 32 says this, and you shall know the truth are you going to hear lies in the world and you hear lies from the world's gods but you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free now most of you are actually listening to me so that's good this would be a time to listen this is a zero end point right now so listen to this now think about this god is free because god is free we are made in the image of god he has made us free as human beings. He has made us free. We have a God-given desire in our DNA, in our hearts, in our spirits, to be free people. Freedom is found, folks, in a relationship with the one who created you, who formed you, who died for you. Freedom, again, is burned into the soul of every single human on this earth. Every single human on this earth. When freedom is removed, people suffer. Look at China. Look at Shanghai. Locked up for who knows how long because of a COVID outbreak, a mini, a mini COVID outbreak. And their response was over the top. Those people have no freedom and were locked up and could be heard screaming in their apartments. Our hearts scream for freedom. Scream for freedom. It's inherent. John eight thirty six, folks says this, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Not in bondage to anything, free indeed. Remember this, Satan is a freedom stealer. He'll offer you the world and steal your life. The world system is a freedom stealer. The world system is under his control. But listen to this, our flesh wanting its own way is a freedom stealer. Following our fleshly urges takes us into bondage. Folks, we want to be set free from the bondage. Set free from the bondage. God's cry to humanity is turn and live as free people. No one can steal your freedom, folks. I don't care if they put you in a Russian gulag like they did with Alexander Solzhenitsyn for eight years. And by the way, that guy met a, a doctor named... Cornfield. Uh, that is a Jewish doctor named Cornfield. Dr. Cornfield did surgery on Alexander Solzhenitsyn while he was in that gulag. It took some uh, bowel out, and that doctor witnessed Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a vehement atheist, couldn't believe that there could be a God in that place. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn came out, a believer in the Lord Jesus, and told everyone about his experience in the gulag and what God did in that space. Alexander Kol Sosnesen was free even in the gulag. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's an attitude, folks. It's not about your circumstances. It's an attitude. In verse 32 to 39, Jesus is going to feed 4,000 Gentiles. Now, this is an amazing thing that these disciples do. I mean they just had something this has only been weeks or a few months since the feeding of the 5000 and these guys are going to ask the same question we're going to discover why we do these types of things they are not so different than us verse 32 now jesus called his disciples to himself and said i have compassion on the multitude remember there's 4000 men there's women and children there's probably 8, 12, 15,000 people, 20,000 people. Because they have now continued with me three days. The first feeding was one day. This is three days. And have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Duh. I mean, that's what I would have wrote. Of it. Duh. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a little fish. So he he does what Jesus does. He commands the multitude to sit down on the ground. He gets order out of the chaos. He took the seven loaves and fish. He gave thanks just like he did the first time, broke them, gave them to his disciples just like the first time and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, just like the first time. And this time they took up seven large baskets full. Last time there were 12 little baskets of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. That's going back to a Jewish region, which he will then confront the Pharisees again next week. But for now, we want to know what's going on here, the feeding of the 4,000. And I think Jesus is still dealing with his disciples. Remember, they're in Jesus' school. They're still learning. So he's teaching his disciples a necessary lesson. Folks, sometimes we have to learn over and over and over. And I want to learn. I want to learn. I don't want to have to go through this over and over and over. But I'm afraid I'm like the disciples. I have forgotten what Jesus has done and I go right into my whatever worry, anxiety phase. Jesus values these 4,000 Gentiles just like he valued the 5,000 Jews when he fed them. Again, the heart of God is for all of humanity to be saved. Now, Jesus, make no mistake, he's most concerned about your spiritual need, knowing him as the Messiah, spending eternity with him, having you believe and receive the gift of salvation. But he's also concerned about the physical, the emotional needs of people. And aren't you glad he is? Because we're here in this physical realm and we suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He was degraded. He was discarded. He suffered immensely. When he was on the cross, he died alone. More on that in just a few minutes. Jesus is not far and distanced from us. He is close to us, folks. Always remember that. He is aware of what's going on. Now, the disciples' question, again, is mind-blowing to me. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Now, this is when I wrote down in my notes, what's wrong with the disciples? What's wrong with those dudes? And then I started to think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me when I stout the doubt? They just saw the feeding of the 5,000. It seems the disciples suffer, and I think we all do to some extent, from the human disease of forgetting quickly, forgetting where God has been with us, forgetting all the times he's answered prayer. You know that God has been with you and you haven't even known it. He's protected you from disease, illnesses. I know he's protected you on that highway. That little white line is not protecting you from that semi- That wants to move over in front of you at the last second. Forgetting quickly. Remember this. The present trial, the present impossible situations seem to quickly erase the past successes. You know, these disciples saw something. Jesus did the exact, almost the exact same thing. The same result, they ate and were all Jesus enters into your situation he can fill you he can help you he can encourage you he's with you for six months the disciples are in tense Jesus school the time is getting short for them the time is getting short for Jesus they're going to have to fly solo it's going to be soon the disciples will carry the mantle of the gospel into the world and they must be ready the only way you can be ready to take this gospel into a world that wants to oppose you at every single step is you must spend time with Jesus. There is no other way that you can carry out the great commission which by the way you are instructed to carry out. Matthew 28:18 through 20. You are to go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to when he comes back for us. I am with you always. All people groups are to hear this gospel. Jesus sends the well-fed multitudes away. And guess what these well-fed multitudes did? 4,000 men, 20,000 people, They go out their community and they say, this is what the true God can do for you. That's what they did. Jesus will return to Jewish territory. It is there that he will again be confronted by the religionists, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Some closing thoughts. I want you to think about this. Think about your life. Think about the trials that you've had, the roads you have gone down. And I think you will admit it's an adventure to follow Jesus. You never know what's coming up. You don't know what is around the next curve. You don't know when you're going to be blindsided. It will happen. Happens to everybody. In the journey will come test. Test of faith. Test of loyalty. Will I be loyal to my Savior in the Test. Or will I shake my fist at him and demand that he do exactly as I say? How will you respond? The test will help to see, help you to see where you are on the trust scale, on the loyalty scale. The disciples will soon go with Jesus to a place called Caesarea Philippi. That is in the northern part of Israel. I had the map there. I could have pointed it to you. And this, they will find another test. In this, they will see these, these gods that are carved into the mountainside. They're called the Pan gods. These are Canaanite gods that have mesmerized the culture. And at this place, Jesus will ask his disciples a question. Another test. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Folks, that question is for us today. As we talk to the world around us, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? Peter answered correctly. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want you to think about this. May we have courage at the moment, at the time of testing, to say these words as we face more and more opposition. I serve the Christ, the son of the living God, unequivocally, with boldness and with courage, just like the three Hebrew slaves did to Nebuchadnezzar we won't bow to you, Nebuchadnezzar. I don't care about the fiery furnace. We will serve our God no matter what. He can deliver us, even if we're not delivered. We will not bow to your idol. I sense that today, Jesus is asking the same question of his church, which, by the way, most of the church in the Western Hemisphere is in apostasy, have fallen away and have adapted the principles and values of the world. The church's worldview in general is much like the culture that we are immersed in. We are to be very different than the culture. You don't find that in Iran. You will not find a compromised, well, unlikely to find a compromised Iranian Christian. When you're dying for your your faith, you're all in. You're all in. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? is he just a name is he just something you've been brought up with what does he mean to you so many christians walk this walk and don't or or talk talk it don't walk it and live in a way that is so contrary to jesus and yet we use the word i'm a christian i'm a christian who do you say jesus is Many people are following the make-believe Jesus, the pretend Jesus, the made-up Jesus. But is he this? Is he truly the Christ, the Son of the living God, that changed my life, that changed my values, that changed my direction, that changed my eternal destiny? Where is my loyalty? Is it to this world? Is it to this stuff? Is it to the thing I'm in bondage to? Or is it to my God? who has promised to free me live freely from all that stuff how you answer that question will be have eternal consequences when opposition comes will you be able to answer he is the son of god he is the christ only time will tell folks how you'll respond but remember this you aren't here by coincidence You have not been placed in in this community by accident. As Esther was told, you are here for such a time. This is your time. The opposition is increasing. This is your time. This is our time to stand. Faith test will determine our loyalty to the Son of God. How will I do with the persecution test? how will I do with the don't mention Jesus at your workplace test? Leave him at home. James Coates was a pastor in Alberta, Canada. He refused to close down his church, and he went to jail. He went to a prison, and he spent time there, and they threw him into the worst part of the prison. I imagine James Coates cried out, Lord, help me. He afterwards, when he got out, he wasn't a pleasant experience, but God gave him the strength. Here's a man who stood in the face of persecution, stood for what he believed. What will I say? What will I say if they come for me one day? What will you say? I think about this a lot. They'll come for me first, and then they'll come for the next guy. Jason, you're next. Okay, you're right next. Get ready to go. Okay, and then we'll get the next elder up here. Somebody else will be taking their place. What will you say? What will I say? You know this. God will tell you what to say at the time. You do not have to fret. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus prepped His disciples then and by extension us now. But when they deliver you up, and that's exactly what they did with His disciples, do not worry. Now isn't that nice? Do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour. You don't have to be ruminating on it, practicing it. What am I going to say when they come? You know, memorizing it. Forget that. God will tell you at the time, in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. In that moment, the weight is not on you. The weight is on our God who can carry the weight And he will speak through you. You will not have to worry. Remember that in your hour of trial. Tests are coming. Evil days. Deceiving spirits like we talked about last week. They are here now. May we as a church stand in the evil day. Ephesians 6.13 talks about the armor of God. It's all about the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. It says this. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're all will face an evil day. Doesn't have to be persecution, be anything that comes into your life. Having done all to stand. What is the doing all? what do, what do I do to do all to stand? Whistle Dixie as I walk down the road and just oblivious to what's going on around me. Do I cover my eyes and pretend everything is okay? Do I cover my ears? Do I continue to watch movies and get distracted or go to the internet and get distracted? Watch video games and get distracted? What do I do? First thing you do is do it exactly what he said. You armor up. You armor up. As men and women of God, he's given you the armor of God to help you to stand. Then you will then stand only when you're dwelling in Christ. By the way, the armor of God is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's what putting on the armor is. You will stand if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's having done all to stand. Distracting yourself, pretending it's not happening, pretending the world events aren't applying to me, that will not help you stand. Pretending it's not happening will not help you. Being in denial does not work. The disciples, folks, are in Jesus' school. They're learning to stand, and so are we. Each one of us are learning. Now, somebody wrote this. This is a copy from somebody else. I don't remember the author. If you feel you are alone as you take a stand for God, just remember, only eight people got into the ark. You know, some people think there are over a billion people on the earth. And Moses was a preacher of righteousness for a lot of years, and no one listened, no one heeded. Only four people fled Sodom and Gomorrah. Only David, the little shepherd boy with the sling, stood against Goliath, and they all thought he was nuts. His brothers were mad at him. Only Elijah stood against the prophets of Baal, by the way, 450 to 1. And Elijah and God were greater. Only three Hebrew children refused to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Only one woman, Mary, anointed the feet of Jesus. And only one apostle stood with Jesus at the cross John and the women. The rest of them split. John, being a true Christian can get lonely. But being part of the heavenly minority is worth it in the end. It is. Standing alone. In Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about these people who overcame and did great and marvelous things. And then it transitions into those who suffered. So many times you can overcome and have a great experience and be on Cupcake Mountain. But the majority of the time, it's in the suffering that you see the people of faith stand. They endured mocking, scourging, imprisoned, sawn in two, slain with a sword, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, talk about this group of people. We folks can be that group of people. We folks can finish our mission. We can be in that heavenly cloud of witnesses. the next generation if there is another generation i'm suspecting that this might be it folks this might be it this might be, be the generation that gets exited out of here therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses these men and women of steel that have gone before us the polycarps the john husses these Iranian women, many have died for their faith, have gone before us. This great cloud of witness, they're in that great cloud. Those people, those people being martyred today are in that great cloud of witnesses. Not just the ones thousands of years ago. Now, today, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Did you hear that? People of God, people of faith. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, traps us, catches us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Don't quit. Don't quit. You're at the 20-mile mark on the marathon. You're almost home. Don't quit. Let us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus started it. Jesus will finish it. He will get you home. Lean on him. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising its shame. And sat down at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Christus victor. Victory over death. Victory over the grave. Because I live. You too may live. That is his promise to us. And Jesus did it virtually alone remember on the cross remember on the cross when he cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me jesus was feeling the abject loneliness of being separated from god the father the spirit of god as he died and all the sins of the world were being placed upon him Father could not look at his son at that point. He felt the separation. They never separated, but he felt the loneliness of being alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Jesus did it alone. Having done all to stand, people of God, we are living in a world today that is more important than anything that we stand. Stand for truth. I'm begging you, stand for life. If, you, if you're in my earshot here, and you're on Facebook, or however you're hearing this, there's an election in a couple days. Vote for life. It's what God would want you to do. Vote for life. Stand in the face of the opposition. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that men of God and women of God in the past have stood. They are in that great cloud of witnesses. Who knows? Maybe we'll be called to do the same thing. And Lord, we know that at that time, you will give us the strength. You will give us the power. You'll give us the words to say, just like Stephen did when he was being stoned, to be a witness for you. We can't do it on our own. We claim no strength in ourselves. It's all from you in us. Thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit resides in each one of us. We can live differently. We can live and not be in bondage to the gods of this world. We can say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We commit our loyalty to Him. In Jesus' name, amen.